so good to see each and every one of you this morning. I'm so honored and humbled to be able uh, to have this opportunity to share the gospel with you. Um, And I use that word share lightly. When you share something, it kind of feels optional. (laughs) I believe that a good shift happens when you preach the gospel. And um, I know that this house, uh, we have all together been on a journey. And I believe and I sense in my heart that in so many ways, the Lord has been leading us the past few years to this moment and to this time. You know that it doesn't always matter what our watch says. It doesn't always matter what the calendar says. The right time is when God says it's time. And I've noticed that almost never does God ask is now a convenient time. He just says, no, now is the right time. I believe that God has not given up on mankind. And there seems to be a narrative today that uh, is voiced in popular media and political media especially it it actually doesn't seem to matter who you ask most people seem to have bad news and a lot of people both ways say well I don't know that I like the way things are going in the world well um, I don't know that it matters what they think or what they say may God bless them I think what matters is what God says And so it seems to me that so many things today are communicated to us using a narrative. We are told different versions or different stories. And these narratives are told to us to explain or motivate us to see or believe things a certain way. And so we would call these narratives, I would call these narratives man's viewpoint, man's wisdom. But I believe there is a different narrative. There's a narrative in this precious and ancient, yet shockingly relative book called the Bible. And these holy scriptures have for us what if this book is to believed at all, it must be believed that this narrative far supersedes whatever narrative men and women can come up with. And so I can't always go to Fox to try to figure out what's going on in the world. And I can't go to MSNBC or, God bless him, but I can't go to Tucker or Joe Rogan. Sometimes when my heart is overwhelmed, I have to go right here and say, what does God say is going on in the world? What's really going on with mankind, what's going on in humanity. And so it's with that in mind that I want to not only share with you a narrative, I want to invite you to participate in a new narrative. And so if you'll allow me, I would like to read from Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to begin in verse 4. 
Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. up the story right here. Jesus gathers together his disciples and being assembled together with them, he, speaking of Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put. And I'm gonna, I like to trade that word put for held sometimes that he's held in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, and I'm, I'm genuinely asking, but are there any Jews or Hebrews from Israel in the room today. You, in the gate church, you never know. We got people from everywhere. Are there any Hebrews or Jews from Israel in the building? Okay, so aren't you really glad that Jesus said uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world? Because everybody in this room, we're the all the world group. Can I get the European folk to say, I'm glad that the gospel went to Europe. Can I get some ancient European folk? Can I get my Hispanic folk say, I'm really, really glad that the gospel got into Spanish-speaking peoples and, oh, I know we're going to get really juiced right here. Is there some Africans in here that'll say, I am glad that the gospel found its way to Africa? Now, I didn't forget. I know some of you were thinking I forgot, but are there any Asian folk in the building that said, I am glad that the gospel made it to Asia. Come on, I see some of y'all out there nodding your head. You can just give me a wave right there. We're all the peoples of the world. Thank God that he made a way for us all. Lord, I ask that you help me to preach and teach. Lord, I ask that you help me to communicate clearly what you have given me to say. Lord, we open our hearts to hear and to receive the truth the bread, the sustaining word of God today. Lord, we submit ourselves to its authority. Lord, if we've been wrong, we commit ourselves today that we'll come in line with the truth of Scripture. If we've misunderstood, Lord, we commit that we're going to come in line with the truth of Scripture today. And so, Lord, I pray and ask that this word will not fall on stony heart, stony ground, but that it will fall on rich fertile hearts that are ready to receive the truth and promises of God. Come on, elbow your neighbor and say, God's good. Thank you, Sarah. All right, we need to move quickly. The book of Acts contains many characters, and it has within it many colorful stories. 
And if you're holding your Bible in your hand, you can in fact flip to the last pages of Acts. And as you're reading the story in this book, there's only so many pages that tell the story. But I want to remind you that the book of Acts is still being written. It is still being lived out. And the historian of Luke only was alive for so long. He only had so much information. He only had so much paper. He only had so much time. But the promise of Scripture is that our Lord sees and knows all things and that he keeps meticulous records of who does what, says what, thinks what, feels what. He knows it all. The Scripture also teaches us and tells us that those who have gone before us They're waiting in heaven like a great cloud of witnesses, like spectators in a stadium, and they're looking down on you and I, and they're they're cheering us on saying, go, 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 because as you succeed, we're being able to reap our reward. The book of Acts is not over. The stories of Acts are still being lived out today, not by some other people but by you and by me. And I want to unfold different parts of this story for this congregation, not for entertainment, but for empowerment. Because I believe this. I believe that God is stirring His church. I believe that there are things that some of us have longed for for decades. I believe that we are in the beginning phases of God wanting to do a great work in planet earth. And I don't ascribe the greatness of this work to its timing. I just simply say this, that God's getting ready to do a thing. And I know this, that when God starts to move, I want to make sure that I am with Him and in Him and that I'm not separated over here trying to do my own thing. And let me make it plain. I like to be poetic, but I also need to be plain. The greatest tragedy that could happen in any person's life would be that when you're old, laying in your bed, and you have lost the strength of years and the energy of youth, you look back knowing that now I have so very little left to give. You look back and you regret and say, I wish I could have. I wished I would have been a part of what God is doing. That could have been me. I could have been there, but I wasn't. I could imagine no deeper bitterness than that. Don't miss your moment. God's warning signs many times are subtle. Have you know that when his son came, the Messiah, the ruler of all the universe, he did this miraculous thing. God fully and perfectly took on flesh and became like one of us. That alone is a great mystery that we'll study and worship for all of eternity. And so many people couldn't recognize that Jesus was in fact God in the flesh. That alone puts me on my toes and makes me want to lean forward into the voice of God and into the world 
Word of God. It makes me want to say, Lord, if you're going to use anyone, use me. Like Isaiah chapter 6, Lord, if you're going to send someone, send me. Lord, don't pass me by. Don't pass my generation by. Lord, if you're doing something in the earth, don't let me miss it. I would say one of the most powerful prayers that any believer or any saint could be praying in this time in which we live is, Lord, don't let me be confused. Lord, let me know the truth, hear the truth, and see the truth for what it is. I want to know when I see God moving. When I feel it, I want to know that's God, and I want to know when it ain't. One of the warnings of end times is that many people will be confused and deceived thinking one thing is God when it's not that's why we must pray and fervently position our hearts to say God show me the truth teach me the truth and lead me in the truth in the way that is right and I have some good news today that God isn't mad I thought I might got a few more amens. Let me try over here. God is not mad. If he's sovereign and ultimately responsible, who's he going to be mad at? He's not mad at himself. You can bet that. He's not mad at Jesus. And I don't believe he's mad at us. Because he has made a way and he has given us all that we need to be the people that he's called us to be. So pay close attention. The Father willed he chose he decided it is best for mankind to be reconciled to me to be reconnected with their creator to be reconnected with the source of all life we were disconnected because of our own choices but he decided it's going to be best for us to reconnect because he loves us And so Jesus comes on the scene to accomplish that will. And so Jesus came to reveal this is who God really is. He's not what religion has taught you. He's not what the pagans have taught you. He's not what the secularists and the Stoics have taught you. I am here to reveal and to show to you who God really is. And then this fascinating thing happens. He dies, he's raised from the dead, and he hangs around for just a few days, and then he leaves. Up into heaven. Imagine being one of the twelve, and it says as he's blessing his disciples, he's taken up. But what did he say before that? Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. Because then the teacher will come, the Holy Spirit will come, and when He comes, He's going to give you power. So the Father wills it, the Son reveals it, and catch this, the Holy Spirit applies it to our life. I was going to spare you all that through the sound system. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, He doesn't come to modify our behavior. He comes to transform us. I would argue this, that the world today, it would seem, is more against God or turned off to God than ever. And I think particularly as Americans, this feels unsettling. 
because this may seem new to us. But I want to submit this to you that the world is not turned against God, they're turned against religion. And I like to define religion in this way. Religion is when we say something can transform us and we call it God when it's not. And so it's easy for us as believers to point our finger at the world and say, look at all that nonsense that y'all do, that's wrong. But the scripture teaches that before he judges the world, he judges his own house. Okay, this group over here knows that we're about to preach a little bit. He wants to judge his house before he judges the world because that's only fitting. Before you tell me what I need to be doing, you need to make sure that you're doing it. And God is just, and so he says, before I go set the world straight, I'm going to set my house straight. So here's what we as believers need to be saying. What have I put my hope in and my trust in? What have I said, oh, that transforms lives, when in fact it don't? Because God didn't come, Jesus didn't come, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to modify our behavior. He comes to transform us through this thing called redemption. And redemption simply says this, he takes something that was dead and he brings it back to life. And so here's what I'm saying to you. If you've been born again, but people around you can't tell the difference of the Jesus follower version of you versus the hanging out in the bar on Friday night version of you, if we can't tell the difference, then I want to ask this, what is God really doing in our lives? Has he, have we really allowed him to take something that was dead and cause it to live again? And so I want to know this. Have we become more consumed with 4K projectors and LED walls? And don't get me wrong, I wish I had one. But have we become more consumed with 4K projectors, LED walls, fancy lights, record deals, and big old houses? Are we saying those are the things that transform people? Let me take it a little further. Do we believe that if I can get people in and out of a church service in an hour and a half that, oh, I'm doing real good, I must be changing people's lives? Are we using convenience and comfort as a medium saying, look at us, we're changing people's lives. We made it so easy. We've turned, we've turned our churches into Holy Ghost McDonald's drive through give me a number three, and then I'm on my way. Or are we people who say, no, I want Jesus. I want to live in his truth and the power of the Holy Spirit. We may have service for 30 minutes. We may have it for three hours. I don't care what it takes or what it costs. I want the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Ghost to transform my life. I was in uh, New York City uh, with Bishop Tony Miller, my first time in Times Square. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm from the hills, y'all, and so uh, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, Atlanta was like a big deal for us. And Atlanta is a cool city, uh, but New York is a different level, and anybody who's ever been knows that that's true. And so do you know the first thing I thought? I was standing in the middle of Times Square. And I'm not throwing a dig at my brothers and sisters from New York. But do you know what I felt like I was standing in? A giant electric temple. Imagine being in the ancient Greek world standing in a Parthenon with all the different gods. The god of sex and the god of beauty and fertility and prosperity, the God of the sun and God of the ocean that does all these different things in our life, that they do what we want them to do and they look like us and sound like us and talk like us. And I imagined I was standing in Times Square and I'm looking at all these screens 
showing me a million different brands. And those brands are promising me, we'll make you beautiful. Here's medical advertisement, we'll make you fertile, healthy, and whole. Woohoo! We'll take away middle-aged, we'll help your hair grow back. We'll put some Gucci on your shoes and Louis Vuitton on your handbag and we'll make you cool and acceptable. It was like standing in a giant temple with two big gods named convenience and comfort. And we're like, wow, yay. Transformation almost never happens when we're comfortable. You hanging with me? We're going somewhere here. So if we want to be transformed, there's a couple of things that you'll have to sacrifice first, and that is convenience. And so I would ask you, do you want to be transformed? Do you want to have, are you willing to sacrifice time? Are you willing to sacrifice energy and effort? I ran track in school, and I had a, my track coach, his name was Dr. King. And uh, anyone who's ran any length will know this. It doesn't matter how good a shape you're in, your body has this natural response that around mile two, between two and a half, is about the time that your body, you may start cold sweating, which can be very uncomfortable or unnerving, and your body will really start talking to you. And your body is telling you, it's begging you, it is screaming, whatever you're doing, crazy human, stop it. This is uncomfortable. But when you push through that, that's when most runners will say, that, that, that's when you become invincible. When you learn to push through that pain, and you learn to push through, then your body, it comes in line, it gets in rhythm, and you can just run and run and run and run and run and run. And, run. and so Coach King always taught us this, when your body starts telling you that it wants to quit, that's when you have to figure out, do you want it? You got to want it. Because everything in you saying, I don't want this, this is miserable, I want water, and I want to go sit down, that's when you got to want it. So I want to ask you, do you want to be transformed? Do you want to be a New Testament church? Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit living in you and manifesting itself in your life? Because if you do, you're going to have to want it. And you'll have to lay down comfort and convenience. You know our deal is that I love you enough, I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, the Lord requires this one thing as we begin. I'm like you. I would love to jump right to the part where the Holy Spirit begins to manifest in these people. That's one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. And the Pentecostal in me wants to go straight to the good part. I do. I want to. But you have to do first things first. Can I say this, that if we, want, if, we want more, if we want an encounter with the Holy Spirit, if we want a move of God's Spirit being poured out on us and being poured out in our city, we've got to start the same way they started, and it simply starts with Jesus. Because if we move too far away from that marker, from that, guide, from that signpost, then we'll become lost and confused. And I need to let some people in this room know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit have always and will always work together. 
and they will never be in conflict with one another. And so for us as human believers, we have to know this, that the next chapter of our story begins. It must begin with Jesus. If you haven't humbled yourself at his feet, if you haven't committed to bringing your life into line with his teaching and his demonstration, then you're going to wind up off the mark. You must begin with Jesus. Anytime you determine, I'm going to begin with Jesus, I'm going to let him begin, I'm going to let him become the beginning of my story, I'm going to let him become the leader of my life, then here's what will happen. Miraculous things just became possible. Miraculous things just became possible. Redemption just became possible. The unexplained just became possible when you begin your story with Jesus. Not men, not men's wisdom, not common opinion, and for sure not politics. Transformation begins with Jesus. And so I have a simple question. Are you willing? Are you willing? Am I willing to do what, preacher? Are you willing to give Jesus simple obedience? Simple obedience. Because Jesus gathers his men together and he says this. The Holy Spirit is coming. In just a few days, you're going to be given power from heaven. And you're going to go to the ends of the earth. But here's what I need you to do. Stay in Jerusalem and wait. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 about a man named Naaman. And he was a Syrian general who had leprosy. And he wants to be healed. And the prophet tells him, go wash in the Jordan River. Easy enough. Leprosy consumes your skin. It's very, very painful and it ultimately leads to death. And the prophet says, you'll be healed if you carry out simple obedience and go wash in the Jordan River. Now, I have been in the Jordan River and I'm here to tell you that it's disgusting. It literally stinks. It's not because they put nasty things in the water. It's because it just stinks. It's dirty. And Pastor Cole and I were together there one time and we were baptizing people in the Jordan River and we stank for two days. And so when Naaman hears go wash in the Jordan River, he says, I don't want to do that. That river is disgusting. Are you willing to give the Lord simple obedience? I want God to do great things. Well, what if he says, stay right where you're at? Stay right where you're at. I want to blow your mind with what he will do for you. The scripture says, I know the plans that I have for you to give you a future and a hope. Eye has not seen nor has ear heard what God has in store for those that love him. He even promises, promises us this. I will even restore the years that the locust has eaten. I'll make up lost time to you. 
How does God do these miracles? How? What opens the door? How do I position myself to see the miraculous? Can I let you in on something that's so easy and yet so difficult at the same time? It's called simple obedience. Because when you want God, we want God to do miraculous things in our midst. We want Him to give us power from heaven to change our lives and to change our world. Guess what? There's very little you can do to make that come about. Most of the burden lies on Him. And so all He requests, all He asks is simple obedience. Let me ask you a question. Many times we want God to do miraculous. When was the last time you sought the Lord and asked him to give you simple obedience. Lord, what would you have me do? We want him to cause our barns to overflow and to cause our marriages to be full of red, hot, pink, neon love. We want him to watch out for our babies and heal our bodies. Most of us haven't taken time recently to go into our prayer closet and say, God, what can I do this week? What would you tell this servant to do? When was the last time that you went to his word and said, Lord, show me what you want me to do with my life? Lord, show me what you want me to give. Lord, show me where you want me to serve my fellow man. Isn't it so funny? We will watch TV and point our fingers at politicians and talk about how they only make the world a worse place, and yet we ourselves won't go to our own prayer altar and say, Lord, show me what I can do to help make my world a better place. And it may be as simple as be kind to the waitress or waiter in your restaurant, ask them their name, and quit calling them, hey, come here, and say, Joe, Susie, would you mind to help me? Be nice to the person that works at the car wash. Be nice at the person taking your money at the grocery store. Be nice to the bank teller. Be nice to your kids' teachers. Quit cursing the school system, God help us. Quit cursing the school system and start blessing it. Can I go a little further? Don't curse the governor. Bless the governor. Ask the Lord for simple obedience. You want the Lord to cause your family to come into the house of the Lord and to be saved. When was the last time you were praying for them? What if the Lord said, pray 10 minutes a day for your cousin until I tell you to stop? It's so easy, but we won't do it because it's too easy. We have to quit playing the spiritual lottery, rolling the dice, hoping that God will give us a miracle. Go to your prayer closet and say, God, what would you have this one do? How would you have me to love my wife? How would you have me to love my children? Father, show me how to be a better father. Simple obedience. When it comes to your church, don't curse it. This is Jesus' bride. She's being made perfect. She may not be there today, but she will be. And you don't want to be the one pointing your finger at her when he comes down and says, y'all quit messing with my woman. 
Stevie Ray Vaughan said, you mess with my woman, you'll see a man get mean. This man right here taught me that the church is the only eternal organization in the universe. Don't curse your church. Go to your prayer closet and say, God, what can I do to make my church look the way, sound the way, feel the way that you want it to? Does that feel okay? Let's break it down very quickly. I want to break down two commands that he gives us in simple obedience so that when you begin your simple obedience, you can navigate that with wisdom. The first command was, stay, was this, stay in Jerusalem. Now I want you to think a moment about how risky this was. It was not long ago that the Romans, at the behest of the Jews, killed Jesus, where he gave his life. Anyone associated with him would be considered a criminal or an outlaw, especially if they were gathering together. Because the police, the Gestapo, whatever the, the Romans had, the Praetorian, would be watching to, against any uprising, any group of people that may get together and, and disturb the peace. That was unacceptable. And so Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem. I want you to stay in the midst of people that may be judging you, analyzing you, looking for you to make a mistake. I want you to stay right there. What happens when God looks at your marriage and says, I need you to stay? Lord, you're going to have to do something with these kids, these crazy kids. What if he says, no, stay. Keep showing up. Keep being their daddy. Keep being their mama. Can I help you with something? Keep making them go to church. As long as you have that power to make them come, make them come. Well, they don't like it. That ain't the point. God said, stay, so stay. Lord, I've been singing, I've been praying, I've been listening to preaching, I've been paying tithes and offerings for 35, 45 years, and I still haven't seen the thing that I feel you want to do in my heart. What do you do when he looks and says, I need you to stay? This boss that I have, God, he's driving me up the wall, he's a nincompoop, he couldn't make money if we started handing it to him. He ain't got no clue what he's doing. And God says, I need you to stay. Would you stay? But you don't understand, preacher. They're hunting me. They want me to fail. There's people all around me that they don't believe in me. What happens when he says, I need you to stay? He can't make a table for you in the presence of your enemies if every time you get an enemy, you pack your bag and run down the street. For God to do the miraculous, he needs some people that they're willing to be planted and say, I don't care if I messed up. Maybe I deserve it, but I don't care if I messed up. I'm going to pick myself up tomorrow because my God told me to stay. I'll repent if I was wrong. I'll forgive if they were wrong, but God told me to stay, so I'm going to stay. What happens when you just determine, you know what, we're going to quit saying to each other, I'm done with you, or I'm leaving. We just say, you know what, God told us to stay, we're going to stay. So we're going to quit threatening to leave and we're going to find a way forward because I ain't leaving you. God told me to stay. I wonder how your boss would respond if you walked in and looked at your boss and you said, boss man, I love you and we don't always agree. But let me tell you something. 
if you fired me tomorrow, I would show up the next day anyway. Because God told me I'm supposed to work for you, help make you successful, help make this business successful. And so you keep giving me chances. I'm going to keep showing up. There's a man that I know in my life that he's doing many things in business and ministry. And I know of one time in particular, his boss and his pastor fired him. And he looked back and said, well, you can fire me if you want to, but I'm coming to work tomorrow. Because I believe I'm supposed to be here and I'm supposed to serve you. And guess what? All these years later, he's still going strong. Because he knew God told me to stay, I'm going to stay. Simple obedience. Second command is this, and we're closing. Wait. Go stay in Jerusalem and wait. Wait. I would say this, that this is one of the most difficult commands for Westerners in particular to live out. Because we want it right now. I want my internet fast. I want my car fast. I don't care if the 5G is frying my brain. I want it fast. I don't have time for diet and exercise and sleeping good. Give me a pill because I want it right now. Give me tender because I don't like to wait. I want it right now. Oh, I'm not going to wait and do it the way the scripture says to do it and to cultivate a strong, healthy relationship in marriage so that I can have the fullness. I just want sexual gratification right now, so give it to me right now. Tender. Swipe, 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 swipe. Uh, y'all, ain't nobody in here got tender, do they? That's somebody else. It ain't y'all. That's somebody else. We don't like to wait. Hear what I'm about to say, church. When God tells you to, waiting is a supernatural act of faith. You know what? We're productive people. Americans, we work now. 52 weeks a year, we are working. We give you two of those to be sick or take a breath. Work, 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 work. And so a lot of you had parents like I had, and they say, what are you doing? Get up. We got to do something. Can't be doing all this sitting around. So what are we indoctrinated with? This constant idea that we have to be producing something. But hear what I'm about to say. Doing nothing is doing something when you do it on purpose. When God says wait, you can sit still in your seat and not be doing nothing, but you're doing something because you are in obedience to what God has said. There are some of us you have given, 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 and the Lord is saying, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just keep waiting. But you just want me to just sit here and show up and shake hands. Just wait. Just keep doing and wait what I've told you. Just wait. Well, my, my wife, she needs a miracle. God, if you don't change her, I don't know. And he says, you just wait. Just wait. You look at houses that you can't afford and cars that you can't afford, and you say, God, I know you want me to have good things in my life. The Lord may just be saying, wait. Wait. Because waiting is an act of faith. And that act of faith is saying what? God, I trust you more than I trust myself. 
Now let's think philosophically about waiting. Waiting is when you get out of God's way and say, God, I'm going to let you do it. Do you know that uh, you don't have to change your spouse? You just have to love them. God will change them. Them babies that you got, start putting it on God and say, God, I can't control these teenagers. But I'm going to love them. I'm going to tell them the truth. And I'm going to trust that, God, you will make sure they wind up in your house. God, I'm getting out of the way because you love them babies more than I do. Even though that's hard to imagine. When you wait, you get out of the way. And say, God, I'm going to trust you. What if we, as the gate church, position our lives and position our heart and say this, Lord, we know you're going to do the supernatural and the miraculous. But Lord, we're going to obey you. That may be simple as you going home and reading three verses a day with your spouse and just saying, God, we ask that you make this real in our lives. It's that simple. Or, Lord, we've never stood at our resource according to your word. And so, Lord, we're going to say this from now on. We're going to let you have authority over every area of our life. Will you give him simple obedience? The Lord may say, I need you to pray. Well, surely all them other folk are praying. Let me let you in on some secret I've learned as a pastor. When you start thinking everybody else is praying, you're wrong. When God comes and says, I need you to pray, that means you're probably about the seventh or eighth person on the list. So when he's coming to you and says, I need you to pray, that means he needs you to give that simple obedience and pray. I need you. I'm asking you as the gate church, I'm asking you to stay. And don't give up. Don't give up. Well, you don't know how hard it is, preacher man. I might fool you on how much I do know about how hard this can be. If God said stay, stay. If God said stay, stay. And I'm asking you to do this with me. An act of faith that says, Lord because we trust in you and we have faith in you we will wait on you I don't have to do it I don't have to produce it I don't have to manufacture it I don't have to make it I just have to wait does that feel okay? if you'll allow me When you do these things, you position your life, simple obedience, you stay and you wait. God always keeps his word. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should repent if he said it he will do it when you got to wait 
and stay with people that you may or may not like or trust, that's rough. But what happens when you're in the middle of your staying and you're waiting and you look around and you look over at Peter and Peter starts going, and his mouth starts moving and he starts saying words that you ain't never heard before and then all of a sudden, oof, a sound like a mighty rushing wind fills the space. Guess what? All that waiting and all that staying, worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Worth it. I want to ask you, will it be worth it when God does the things that we're believing He will do? Will it be worth the wait when you see Him do it? Sitting right where you are. If you will just, I like to lift my head and look up to put my attention on Him and just take a receiving posture like this. Let's pray this together. Lord, show me, tell me what you would have me to do. I submit my life and my will to your word and to your command. Lord, I commit today to give you my simple obedience. If you've told me to stay, I'll stay. If you've told me to wait, Lord, we'll wait. Pray this with me. Lord, we trust and we know that you will do all that you have promised you'll do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, if the Lord has encouraged you today, can you give him a hand clap of praise?